We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is the Respect for Marriage Act and the evangelical elite's capitulation to this particular social issue and how they've forgotten two key things. First of all, they've forgotten the children. And second of all, they apparently have forgotten about hell. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. So the topic for today is the Respect for Marriage Act and the fact that 12 Senate Republicans signed on with the Democrats to advance this, what I would call, and many others are calling, a misnamed Respect for Marriage Act, because really what it does is the exact opposite. It is, isn't that so true with so much of what we're talking about within the culture wars today, the reversal of definitions. You degrade marriage under the banner of a Respect for Marriage Act. You say that you're for the children while you compromise their innocence at every turn. You say that you're pro-woman and then you deny that women are even real and you take away their bathrooms, their showers, their dignity, and their identity. You say that you're a feminist, but you you deny the very biological fact of the female, the feminine. The list goes on and on. We've reversed definitions. We're calling evil good and good evil. And as the prophet Isaiah warns us, woe unto those who do that, who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter, good evil and evil good. Woe unto those who reverse definitions. Today's show is going to be about that happening with regard to the evangelical capitulation to this particular cultural issue, this debate over marriage, this debate over sexual identity. And I'm going to argue that evangelicals of all people should be aware of the fact that, number one, we are obligated to consider the children when we have these discussions, when we decide what we're going to do with our culture. What about the children? That's question number one. And then, if you're going to acknowledge that there are social consequences to social programs, in other words, when you do things in your government, in your culture, in your society, in your schools— that the children will be the recipients, for good or for ill, of the consequences of those things that you've done. If we're going to talk about the consequences of dumbing down marriage, of creating fatherless homes, in the case of two lesbians having children, or creating motherless homes, in in the case of two men, two gay men having children. If we're going to acknowledge that there will be consequences for the children raised within these environments. And there will be. I mean, you don't have to be a conservative Christian to see the data. When we see children raised outside the nuclear family, there are social consequences. We've talked about it a dozen times in terms of fatherless homes. Why do you see increases in crime, increases in um, all sorts of sexual dysfunction, uh, abuse, 
uh, premarital sex, uh, father, uh, fatherless children produce more fatherless children. I mean, that's just a fact. Uh, when you see the consequences of fatherless homes, you can't ignore the fact that creating more fatherless homes through the LGBTQ rainbow agenda is going to have a predictable consequence. When you raise children outside the nuclear family and they don't have a nurturing mother, you have to acknowledge that if you create an agenda that by definition is not going to have a nurturing mother, this new definition of family, this new definition of marriage, you're going to have consequences and the consequences are going to be uh, uh, disproportionately born by children within those particular family, quote-unquote, dynamics. But there's even something greater than that. Not only will there be temporal consequences, but there will be eternal consequences. If you're a believer, if you're an Orthodox Christian, there's a thing that Orthodox Christianity has held to be real for 2,000 years. And even before that, quite frankly, the reality of hell, is hell real? Is there a hell? And are certain people going to spend eternity in hell? If we answer yes, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what will our social programs, what will our capitulation on these issues of family dynamics and family design and family definition, will there be not only temporal consequences for children, who are raised in this new dynamic, this dysfunctional family design, will there be eternal consequences? That's today's show. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, for the rest of the show, I want you to listen to everything I say and everything I read within the context of two questions. What about the children and what about hell? What about the temporal harm caused to children? And what about the eternal consequences these children could suffer? Uh, these are important questions. And evangelicals of all people, Orthodox Catholics, 
Greek Orthodox, the Orthodox Church, the Evangelical Church, historical Christians, of all people, should be concerned about these two questions. Number one, Jesus made it very clear that it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea, be drowned in the ocean, than to cause any of these little ones, these children, to stumble, to suffer, to go astray. That's one thing that Jesus made very clear. And then the other thing that Jesus made very clear, he talked about it more than any other person in the Bible, that's a fact, is hell. Jesus addressed hell more than any other person in the Bible. Did you know that? So the two things I want you to be thinking about in the next few minutes are, what about the children and what about hell? We don't hear much talk of hell anymore, do we? Well, let's set the context here before I get into that. You had 12 Senate Republicans who signed on with the Democrats to advance this misnamed Respect for Marriage Act. And some Christians, not enough, were left stunned that they had been betrayed by these conservative, quote-unquote, Republicans. Some of us weren't surprised. We could see it coming. I'm among those that aren't surprised, and the reason I could see it coming is the capitulation of the evangelical elites. Elites such as Christianity Today's CEO, Timothy Darwimple. Timothy Darwimple. Back in 2012, even before Obergefell, Darwimple, excuse me for stumbling over his last name there, Timothy Darwimple. Uh, the CEO for Christianity Today. And if you don't know, Christianity Today has long been considered the flagship publication for evangelical Christianity. Billy Graham was involved in, the, in it. Uh, great Christian thinkers were involved in the founding of Christianity Today. As an intellectually honest and biblically faithful publication. But today you have the CEO of Christianity Today saying this in 2012, th three years before Obergefell, it might be time to stop opposing same-sex marriage as a matter of law. What's going on in the evangelical community when people start making that argument? Uh, he went on to say this, humbly acknowledging the limitations of our knowledge and recognizing the possibility that we might be mistaken. Okay, that's from Christianity Today, before Obergefell. Uh, he went on to call it marriage. He went on to call marriage an issue of secondary importance. And he worried about Christians, evangelicals, doubling down in defense of marriage as being founded by God and not uh, malleable, something that could be changed by the state. He worried that our, our fighting for this issue within the culture wars could harm our witness. That's his language. And he suggested that the church's credibility might be better spent on more important issues. Okay, that's Dalrymple for Christianity Today. Now, he, he went on to argue that homosexual unions don't have clear victims. He actually said that. What, what, what else is going on out there? So you have Christianity Today making this argument. There were other writers on there that said, uh, there's, a, there's a professor uh, that writes for Christianity Today. His name's Carl H. Eastback. And he agreed and said that he thought that the 
Respect for Marriage Act was a good day's work. You know, he chimed in. Then you have the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, Pastor Walter Kim. And, and supposedly, the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals, is the organization that represents evangelical Bible-believing Christians nationwide, some 60 million by some estimates. Uh, Pastor Walter Kim, the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, he actually wrote a letter to these senators, some of these 12 senators, encouraging them, trying to persuade them to pass the law protecting LGBTQ Americans from discrimination. That's his language. And he went on to warn in that letter that Christians are called not to win culture wars, but to defend the dignity of all human beings. He wrote that letter to Senators Tammy Baldwin in Delaware and Susan Collins in Rhode Island. He called upon them to stop the filibuster, to stand in the way. And then after they did so, he thanked them for their efforts. Okay, you have David French. I have books by David French in my library. I used to hold him in high regard. No longer do I uh, do so. David French has capitulated on this issue. He's out there discouraging Christians from resisting the enshrinement of gay marriage into U.S. law. But while he's doing this and defending this pluralistic um, legal structure that he thinks is going to work, here's here's the thing, and I want to focus on this for a second or two. French and uh, Pastor Kim and um, the writers for Christianity Today, they're, they're saying all this stuff, but you don't even hear a hint of the social harm that might come from subverting traditional marriage, the nuclear family, the structure that God has ordained and that Western civilization has embraced as the context for raising our progeny. You don't hear any of them acknowledging that there could be some social harm, some temporal consequences that are going to come from breaking down marriage, redefining marriage, dumbing it down, dumbing down the definition of the family. This onslaught of rainbow indoctrination that we see in our schools right now, do you not think that that came from Obergefell and the dumbing down of the nuclear family? It's targeted at children in our schools and in our libraries and popular entertainment, and as I've even said here on this show, in our public parks in Heartland America and Bartlesville, drag queen performances in the park. You don't see the connection between this and that. And then you turn around and you say the gay couple down the street in no way makes our straight marriage more difficult or challenging. It doesn't compromise us. How does it hurt you? That's David French. He said that. That embarrassing canard of saying, well, how's gay marriage hurting you? Well, are you clueless? Do you have your head in the sand? Do you not see the drag queen party in the park? Do you not see the rainbow indoctrination in your schools? Do you not see what's happening to the children? The social consequences, the social harm that's that's going to affect the 8-year-old, the 10-year-old, the 12-year-old that has to live in this different world. He, French believes this argument for ushering in some new day of uh, pluralism is well-founded, and he's writing in that context right now. He repeatedly references LGBTQ families in his essays, and he never, or at least it doesn't appear, you can challenge me if I'm wrong, he never specifically treats the issue 
of children and the consequences and the question of how children are being affected by this. How do they fare? How, how do kids fare in gay families? And the, 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 the refrain used to be, well, homosexuals can't have families because they can't, they can't procreate. But now we know with science that you can, that gay families, two gay men are going to have a child through surrogates and in vitro fertilization and et cetera. Donors, you get a couple donors, donor of an egg, and you get a surrogate womb, and two gay men have a child. Well, how does that child fare? Well, French says that these children are going to live stable, joyful lives in LGBTQ families. Now, he doesn't specifically say children, but he does say this. This is his quote. Millions of Americans are living stable, joyful lives in LGBTQ families. Really? Really? Now, keep asking yourself the question, what about the children and what about hell? Here's my point. I really appreciate this article that I'm reading to you right now. Um, that I'm getting this information out of with regard to the Christianity Today quote, the, the, uh, the National Association of Evangelical quote, and the David French quote. It's written by Megan, Megan, excuse me, Megan Basham. She's of the Claire, Claremont Lincoln Fellow, and she writes for National Review, First Things, Wall Street Journal. She is highlighting this in The Federalist, which is where I found the article. And she's asking the question, what about the children? Do the rest of Americans, does the rest of the American church, she says, still care about these little children? Or are we too busy protecting our quote-unquote witness? We don't want to get engaged in culture wars. Where's David French on the children? Where's the National Association of Evangelicals? Where's Christianity today when it comes to the children? Now, I agree with Megan Basham. What about the children? But the one thing I would say in this very good article that she wrote for the Federalist, an article where she zeroes in on the social consequences of sin, especially for children, both present, those that are already born and living, going to our schools, riding their bicycles through our parks, attending our churches. What about the children? And what about the future children? The future children, those yet to be born into these caring, nurturing LGBTQ families under a different definition of family and a different definition of marriage. Great, great questions. I agree with that. But what about another issue? What about the eternal consequences? Megan Basham is talking about the social temporal consequences. I want to talk about now the eternal consequences. The only thing I would say Megan Basham missed in that article that I'm picking from right now is the eternal. Now, I'm not saying she doesn't believe in the eternal. I'm just saying she probably didn't have time to write about it. She, she didn't talk about the eternal consequences as well as the temporal consequences for children. Children being raised in Bible-denying homes. Ask yourself this question. How likely is it that a child raised in an LGBTQ-affirming home will come to saving faith? Really, what are the odds that they're going to hear the gospel and the need for salvation only through Jesus Christ? How likely is it that such a child raised in an LGBTQ-affirming home will be told that he or she must be born again? Those are the words of Jesus. So if you're listening to me right now and you think, 
Jesus is the second person of the triune God, and that what he says you can take to the bank because it's true, can't be changed, it's immutable, it came directly from the incarnate word itself, himself, God. Jesus said you must be born again. There's nothing in the gospel that says you should celebrate that you're born that way. That's just the way you are. There's nothing in there that says that's your identity. There's everything in the gospel that says you must die to self. You must be transformed. Behold, the old is past, the new has come. You must be born again, not born that way. How likely is it that a child raised in an LGBTQ affirming home is going to hear that? How likely is it that these young boys and young girls in such homes are going to come to believe that there is a real hell? Do you think they're going to hear that? How likely is it that they'll come to confession and repentance, that they'll be told that they must confess, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of your sins and to cleanse you, cleanse you, wash you of all unrighteousness. How likely is it that these children raised in these new definition, these new families, this new definition of family, under this Respect Marriage Act, Obergefell and whatnot, that the in National Association of Evangelicals, NAE, and, and Christianity Today and David French are affirming and celebrating. How likely is it these kids are going to hear about a real hell and that the way to avoid it is confession and repentance rather than celebration and affirmation? The consequences of Bible-denying, sin-denying, gospel-denying, truth-denying, and hell-denying Christianity are huge, and today's evangelicals don't seem to even care. Now, I have to, I have to conclude, I have to draw conclusions from their silence. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. So, do you, if you're an evangelical, if you're a David French, if you're a Christianity Today leader, elite, if you're working as a voice, the leader of the National Association of Evangelicals, if you're a pastor of a church or the president of a Christian college, if you're just a, a known Christian in your community and you're not saying anything about this stuff, I have to conclude something. You, you may not even believe it. You may not think it's important. Now, if all the stuff I'm saying makes you nervous, if you think, what's all this talk about hell? Why are you bringing hell into the discussion? I want you to consider this. As I said at the front end of this show, Jesus himself talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. More than anyone else in the Bible. Even, even just a cursory read through the Gospels, just the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, shows that Jesus talked about hell a lot. He talked about it more than any other person in the Bible. In Luke 16, Jesus describes a great chasm over which, quote, none may cross from there to us. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells of a time when people will be separated into two groups, one entering into his presence and another banished to, quote, Jesus' words, eternal fire. Jesus doesn't only reference hell 
Over and over again, he describes it in great detail. Jesus says that hell is a place of eternal torment, Luke 16. Of unquenchable fire, Mark 9. Where the worm does not die, Mark 9. Where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew 13. Hell is a place from which there is no return, even to warned loved ones, Luke 16. Jesus calls hell a place of outer darkness, Matthew 25. Jesus compares hell to Guyana, Matthew 10. What, what's Guyana? It's, it's a place where trash was dumped outside the walls of Jerusalem and where the trash, the rubbish, the garbage was burned and maggots were crawling around and all of the dead carcasses and all the trash. This garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. Jesus told us that that's what hell is like. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. Did you know that? If you add it up quantitatively, he's talking about hell more than he even talks about heaven. And he describes hell more vividly. So you can't deny that Jesus knew about hell, believed in hell, and warned about hell. The absolute reality of hell. So, we could talk about the reason for hell. We could talk about the anxiety that we feel when we hear uh, about it. Maybe in a subsequent show, we'll talk about how a loving God could, could allow people to go to hell. I mean, the quick answer to that is, our loving God is a just God. And if he weren't just, then... He's not a God that you would want to worship or you would want to follow. So if you agree that God is just, then you have to understand that there is a reality of good and evil and that evil has to have consequences. Otherwise, God is not just. That's a whole show, two or three or four. But my point is this. Let's go back to the key questions. What about the children and what about hell? Well, if you care about the children, then you should want them to be raised in the most functional, healthy family and environment possible. The, the, the best marriages, you should want that for the children. Recognizing that our world is broken and that marriages are broken and that people aren't perfect, we should have a structure that encourages God's model for the family because it's been proven for the millennia to be a better model than any other, that that's the way you should raise kids. Mom and a dad working together to do their best to raise their children, train them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart. There will be social consequences if you break down that definition of family and that definition of marriage. We can look at social science to prove all of that. Again, unwed mothers, fatherless homes, what happens with the children, dysfunction, crime, etc., and the perpetuation, the vicious circle of dysfunction. But even more so, in addition to those temporal consequences, those social consequences, what about the eternal? Do evangelicals, do Orthodox Christians, do all of you listening to me right now that consider yourself under that umbrella, Bible-believing Christianity, the mere Christianity of C.S. Lewis, do you not believe in hell? Do you not believe in the eternal consequences of raising children 
bearing children within such a dysfunctional and broken family structure. What are the odds of these children ever hearing the gospel, ever hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, ever needing, ever hearing that they need to confess their sins? That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you ever think the children raised in these homes where they're celebrating sin, they're identifying themselves by their inclinations, that they're claiming that their being is tied into their sexual, their belly, their gut, their libido, that they're defined by their libido rather than their Lord. When you know that that's the worldview that these kids are being born into, do you ever think they're going to be told what Jesus told us in the Bible over and over again, that the reason the Word made flesh and dwelt among us was to rescue us from hell, to give us an opportunity to confess our sins, to be cleansed, to have the old die, and to be made new, to be born again, rather than be trapped in the dysfunction, the social as well as the personal dysfunction of being born that way. Do you ever think these children that we're talking about right now will ever hear that message? The odds are pretty obvious. No. And we should care about that. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.